0: Hello, and welcome to Dope Conversations Podcast. I am your host, Bikita Pegram, and I am going to give you something to think about. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, y'all. I have a special, special guest for you today. I'm so excited. One of my favorite people in the world because not only is he my professor, I consider him a mentor, but he has a wealth of knowledge that anybody could grow from. He has been an endowed chair where he is now at Prairie View A&M University. He's been at Texas A&M, Rutgers. He has a, a wealth of experiences that he's sharing with us as I go through this program at PV, but I wanted to share his knowledge with you all. I know a lot of my listeners work in corporate America, but also work in higher ed and even um, secondary education. And he has some knowledge that he can share with us about being black in academia and making sure that our skin is not seen as a deficit because we know we got black girl magic. We know what's going on. We know how to do this job. But sometimes people look at us and say, oh, they may not be suited. So he's going to tell us and share with us rather some things that we can do and to fight that. And so that we can go to work and be productive and enjoy our environments. So, Dr. Barner, thank you for coming on today.
1: Yes, ma'am. And thank you for this invitation. I have been excited and looking forward to this. So. You're, um, you're doing ex- uh, exceptional work in the uh, PhD program. So when you told me that um, you wanted me to participate in this wonderful podcast and event, I was super, super excited.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. So we're going to jump right on in because I want to make sure that we have enough time to get all of the good information you have for us. So my first question for you is, what is the challenging part about being black in academia?
1: Well, actually, there are. Um, there are a number of number challenges. There are also a number of opportunities, but you ask about challenges, so let's talk about those challenges. So I want to take you back a little bit, back to 2004. I was a um, assistant professor, young assistant professor at the University of Texas at San Antonio. And um, as, an, as a, an assistant professor, one of the things that I had to do was to teach research service as part of uh, what we do in faculty life. So I was spending um a bulk, the bulk of my time researching, writing, doing the things that professors do to try to get tenure. Mm-hmm. And um in one of my um writing um writing pieces was a uh, article that I worked on called Black Professors on the Track but Out of the Loop. Okay. And that article was in the um Chronicle of Higher Education 2004. And what I wanted to do in that article was to talk about what it meant to be a black professor in particularly in predominantly white institutions, even though the University of Texas San Antonio was a Hispanic serving institution. A lot of my experiences and a lot of the experiences of my colleagues were what it meant to be black in a PWI space. Mm-hmm. So that particular article, um, black professors on the track, but out of the loop. I unpacked several things, several themes that were um that I found that impacted me, that I found as challenges, that that I found as maybe sometimes obstacles. So um, I just want to briefly share, share those with you. So okay. very briefly. The first one was proving yourself over and over. Yes. The second one was providing the entertainment.
0: Huh, yes. <laughs>
1: So, and let me uh, just unpack this a little bit, what I mean by each one. So, well, of course, proving yourself over and over, that's pretty self-explanatory. Just that whole feeling that you have to constantly prove yourself that you're under this microscope. And many of us are. um, So just feeling the need that you have to, again and again and again, to show that you're competent. Right. Uh, But the second one, providing the entertainment. This one is a bit elusive. It can be. But what I mean by this I found that as a black faculty, as a black professor, that I could just come to educate. I also had to entertain. Mm-hmm. So many faculty, many black faculty talked about how, you know, it's almost like each week my knowledge alone is not enough. I have to put on this production. I have to have the PowerPoint. I have to have the um, the slides. I have to have the videos. I have to have the um, whatever, right. all these accoutrements just to show that I'm prepared for class. Right. So that whole entertainment piece became um, not only feeling like you couldn't just, you know, teach what you were trained to teach, but you also had to convey it in a way that students found entertaining. And some of that was related to the fact that you had to show that you were always prepared.
0: Right. You had to prove your knowledge almost every week, basically.
1: Every week.
0: And I think that even goes to I've had some professors that were of different races they didn't, even just down to their attire I had one professor would wear um, chucks to class and dress very casual, almost like the students, but I can pretty much count on one hand how many black professors I had that dressed down most of my black professors always dressed like they was going to a fashion shoot, shoot. and I was like, wow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's like a certain expectation of black faculty to always be on an interview.
1: Absolutely because there's not you know we don't get this um default to um the belief that we are a professor or the belief that we are a professional. So we have to always, you know, many times, you know, felt like you always had to look the part because mm-hmm. You know, the chucks on the white professor meant one thing, but the chucks on me meant something totally different. And many times that different mm-hmm. things were not something that was uh,
0: positive. Exactly. So, what actions or changes m- must happen in academia to make higher ed- education more equitable?
1: So, I would say one of the most important things that has to happen is that we must validate the Black experience. Because I think what we miss many times is that. What it means to be not only a professor, but what it means to be a black professor. Right. And we function at the intersection of all of our different identities. But as a black professor, you know, we function at the intersection of being black and being a uh, professor, being an intellectual, being an academic, being a scholar, scholar practitioner, practitioner scholar. Right. But at the very foundation of that is the fact that we are black. So we need to be able to validate what that means and that it means something many times very different than what it means to be a, um, uh, a white professor, majority professor, mm-hmm. uh, or even to be a Hispanic professor or, um, an Asian professor. So, right. so I think one of the first things we have to do is to validate the black experience.
0: I like that. And
1: Bakwidi, you know, I'm a, I'm a researcher and a scholar and a nerd. So, um, uh, so I always um, try to tie what I'm doing into my writing and my research. Right. So I actually um, uh, published this article in, the, uh, in Diverse Issues, and it was titled, um, How and Where We Exit, Seven Propositions on Black Positionalities. Mm. And in that article, I unpacked these seven propositions, is what I call them. Okay. And each one kind of conveyed like a different idea, a different thought about, you know, the black experience and what that actually meant. So just very, very briefly, the first one was uh, maintain dominion. Mm -hmm. Maintaining dominion over our narrative because so often the black narrative is co-opted or it is um, redirected by individuals outside of the black diaspora. So I think, you know, not to say that someone who's white, who's Asian, who's Hispanic, who can't write about the black experience, But, you know, you can have an opinion, but I don't believe that anyone outside of the Black Diaspora should have dominion over that narrative.
0: And I like that because even when we look at media and we talk about movies and music, when you have someone else telling our story is not going to hit close to home as if we told it. They might hit the general block, but they're not going to be in the house that we're in (laughs) So right, yes. right, right, right,
1: right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like that. You spend a lot of time out there in the vestibule. Great,
0: <laughs> right, exactly. And see, this mm-hmm. reminds me of your book. And I forgot to mention this in the beginning. Um, to because to prepare for this interview, I read your book, Black Faculty in Cat Acad- an Academy, Narratives for Negotiating Identity and Achieving Career Success. Success yes. If you are in secondary Or if you're in higher ed, four year, two year, it doesn't matter. You need to read this book. It has six, um, well, six total authors. And when I read it, they have recommendations after each chapter, but each chapter, I can pretty much say they all mention mentoring, social support, being yourself, creating network of allies. That is something that we have got to start doing. And for me, those are some of the actions and changes that must happen. This was a book that I think is relative to any level of education, any position in education, doesn't matter what you do, this book can help you through that by showing you and giving you some recommendations to fight being black in academia. So who do you think the heavy lift is on? So the book really gives you some self things to do, but what's the, who has the heavy lift on executing the actions that you deem necessary for, to to be more equitable?
1: So, you know, that's a great question. I think the heavy lift, the heavy lifting should go, it is really, um, the, the black collective has to do the heavy lifting. And when I mean the, when I say the black collective, I mean black people in general, whether you're in academia, outside of academia, but we, as a collective, as a group, we have to all marshal our efforts, marshal our forces, and to work as a as a group to work towards our redirecting and changing that narrative. One of my favorite quotes is by Audre Lorde, and um, she said that you know you can um, you can never dismantle the master's house by using the master's tool you can't use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house
0: oh that's deep because the tools were to create keep us down so we can't use those same tools to uplift ourselves
1: you can't so I think it is a collective effort by the uh, the black masses we have to come together you know across a different strata because we know in the black community we don't have we do, but we don't. I mean, it's it's not been these divisions between the different classes that have moved us forward. It's been everybody pulling together. I mean, for those who are, you know, poor, lacking resources; those who are who have a lot of resources, we have always worked as a collective to make any type of a systemic change. And I think that is absolutely important. Right. So I would say the collective has to do the heavy
0: lifting. I, I you know what, and I can agree with that. Because I feel like in order of us, in order for us to have the last say about our narrative, we have to be more involved. So I can see where the heavy lift falls on us. And that means a lot of really, really just critical self reflection and saying, okay, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the best action that I did and I could have handled it a little bit different, but I think that's going to take some conversations amongst the collective and not just peer-to-peer or you know me talking to my neighbor we're going to have to really organize and come together to see which direction is best
1: absolutely and you you're spot on with that we have to organize and um how about you know we don't have to have a uniform vision but we need to have a collective vision that is um leading us in a, a systematic way to right. making needed
0: changes. Right. And and that goes, like when I say organized, I don't want my mm-hmm. listeners to think, oh, she wants us out there like NAACP. I'm talking about just creating those allies at work. Yes, we still got to do some social justice outside of the building, but inside of the building it's just creating those networks and those allies that you can count on and you can trust. Um, some of the things that I also took away from your book was, one, develop senior and junior faculty mentoring networks. I thought that was very important because just like another part in your book says, um, mentoring is imperative. Anybody who knows me knows I believe in mentoring and I love mentoring. I even introduced you as one of my mentors. That's important. Um, the other thing that you said was speak up, don't suffer in silence, um, value diverse research social support, allies, and be authentic. So Mm -hmm. I think everything that you said points to back to everything in your book. And so, yes, I love the way that you connect these issues that we have back to research and bringing it back to, okay, look, we've done the research, we've done the study. This is what's real.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You are spot on with that touching on some really important points. And, um, One of my uh, propositions out of those seven propositions is uh, demand street street credibility for blackness. Mm. Because what I have found is that blackness is like one of the few things that people demand street credibility. It's like anybody can step in, start writing about, talking about, preaching on, singing about blackness.
0: Yeah.
1: That that you don't have to have any street credibility. And I'm like, how does that happen? So we need to start demanding street credibility to have agency with our blackness. You know, we shouldn't just uh, give it over without any um, prerequisite uh, attributes, skills, things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like, you know, my blackness is not for free. So I earned it. So you can't just step in and take it and co-opt it. Right. So that is really important.
0: Yes, I like that. So my last question for you is: What roles or what role does HBCUs play in this elevation? What is our responsibility?
1: Primary role. I see HBCUs at the core, at the epicenter. So the best visual I could give you: picture at picture at the center. You got the circle, and you have all these spokes coming out the circle. Mm-hmm. And each spoke is a different idea, identity, institution. So at the hub of all these folks, is the HBCU. Okay. So I think given um, the role that HBCUs have historically played, given um, the role that they are currently playing, I think it is really important that HBCUs serve as, like, the foundation. I mean, if we look at American higher education, you know, with the founding of our first HBCUs, Cheney University, um, um, Lincoln University, Wilberforce, you know, these institutions – Gave African American, gave Black people an opportunity at an education. I mean, brilliant, brilliant people who had, you know, who were locked out of uh, education. So we have always served as a two-way force for the Black community. So I think that we should serve as like the um, central hub for everything that we do by way of uh, the Black diaspora.
0: Right. And see, and that makes me think about how important alumni are to HBCUs and seeing that
1: out? Absolutely important. I was just uh, reading some information about HBCUs. Um, uh, I was looking at some contemporary stuff. Um, my first uh, topic for my dissertation, I was going to focus on the role of the HBCU president. Mm-hmm. So I've spent quite a bit of time back then focusing on HBCU, but even my contemporary research, because I focus on the experiences of High-achieving African-American males in HBCUs and PWIs. So I still stay pretty current, but I was just glossing through, skimming through some information, um, and um, I just saw uh, a stat that said that HBCUs only represent three percent of the institutions of higher education in this country, mm-hmm. but they um, they produce, they have produced over produced fifty percent of the doctors and eighty percent of the judges who are out there, but they only constitute of the higher ed institutions in this land.
0: Okay. See, it's like, yes, I acknowledge the achievements we've made, but there's still so much work to do because I think when I see social justice, I think of it as an onion. Yeah, you peel back that little leafy part, but there's so much as you peel through it is so much more you hit the surface or that low hanging fruit first, but then you got to climb up and you really got to get in there to get what you really need to do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You really have to get in there and you really, you know, and that's why I I was saying that, you know, HBCU should be at the core. So as you're looking at all those different spokes and those things that are out there. So as you come towards the core, you know, we should serve as, like, the foundation. We should serve as, like, the uh, organizing center, so to speak. Yeah. And each one of the issues should have some connection to that core. And HBCU should have something to do with, something to have um, some type of a connection to whatever that issue is, just because we play such an important role, particularly as it comes to Black people.
0: Right. And I can see just by some of the things that you're doing at PV, you're doing the work. And I just want to say thank you for doing the work because I think myself and maybe some of my listeners misconstrued what social justice looks like. And I go back to one of the earlier episodes of Dope Conversations when we looked at different ways to attack social justice issues, whether that be through education, whether that be through music and um, the arts. And what I'm finding, the more that I get to know you, but also the more work that I read, you are doing social justice. It's not the typical what we're used to seeing on TV with the protesting and um, big posters and marching, but it's very much Taking what you love, research and applying it to every day. And I want to say I appreciate that because you're showing the world a different way because everybody is not that rah-rah person, an extrovert that can do it. But the way you're doing it, I would feel comfortable. Okay, let's research and let me see what I can do. And I just I love your approach to social justice. Oh,
1: I really, really appreciate that. And uh, you're, you're doing the work. I mean, this podcast is a major contribution to the work of social justice and advocacy. And one thing that I want to say to you is that um, back to those propositions, my, uh, and it goes in line exactly what you're saying. Pro- proposition number three mm-hmm. is we need to advance and support multiple forms of activism. Because you have some people that say, unless you're out there raising the fist, unless you're out there... You know, throwing rocks, throwing stones, or out there picketing or doing those things, that you're not an activist. Well, that's absolutely not true. I'm an activist sitting right here typing on this computer, putting out these articles. I'm an activist teaching in the classroom. I'm an activist presenting at this conference that's been all white folks, and I'm here talking about black males who are gifted. Mm -hmm. So we have to ease up and give the latitude for people to show multiple forms of activism. So Just because my activism doesn't look like yours doesn't mean it's not activism.
0: Exactly. And best know that is impactful because when Dr. Barner speaks, it's like EF Hutton, people listen. (laughs) So (laughs) I used to love that commercial when I was little.
1: Well, a a few people, some (laughs) of the time. (laughs)
0: Because you are doing the work. So what other propositions did you have to share with us?
1: Well, let's see. Um, one, uh, one of the propositions, well, I told you about maintain dominion over the narrative. Mm-hmm. Proposition number two is we need to reframe our thinking about black excellence. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? So how often have I heard, you know, in the HBCU context or in, uh, in black context? Let me just take it out of the HBCU environment. It's like whenever you bring something that's about excellence, folks want to say, well, here you come with that white folks stuff. Or here you come with that PWI stuff. Here you mm-hmm. come with that A and M stuff, that Rutgers stuff. I'm like, so you mean to tell me that what I'm doing about excellence is not something that we know or should know or should be doing at PB or TSU or Southern? Or- right. So to me, you're diminishing Black excellence. You're saying that this is white folks' stuff. Really, excellence uh-huh. not white folks' stuff. Excellence right. is our stuff. Right. And most so we time, need to reframe what yes. we mean by black excellence.
0: Because most times the stuff that they consider white folks excellence, truth be told, is ours anyway.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So it's bringing us time for on the block. And this is the part where we merge our research to what we can do in our neighborhoods, what we can do on our jobs to make a change. And I just really want to go back to those things, those um, themes that I found through your book. And one is mentoring. If you've had the experience and you know what it is to be in someone's position, reach down, reach back, help them. And that goes back to each one, teach one. Um, also, self-reflect, critically self-reflecting on our own actions and, and ways that we can improve our own situations based off of what we're doing. Um, we got to do that. We got to look at what we're doing. The other is social support. Next is BU. And that goes back to an earlier episode when we talked about code switching and code stitching be you finding those circles that you are comfortable in so that you can have a voice. So you're not suffering in silence. That's up to us to create those spaces for each other and also find network network through your job. Go to those events. Dr. Barna talks about in his book, going to those company events, getting to know those senior people, getting to know your peers on a different level, but also showing them your blackness is not scary. Your blackness is authentic. Your blackness is rich. It doesn't have to be what they, what they thought it was based on some TV show that they watch. And now it represents all black people. So please, if you have anything that you would like to say about the show, please give us a review, a like, a share. But at this time, I want to ask Dr. Barnard, is there anything that you're working on that we could be excited about getting exposed to here near in the future?
1: Absolutely. So we got a, one of my um, books was just released in January. I'm super, super excited about it. It's, the title is Square Pegs and Round Holes, Alternative Approaches to Diverse College Student Development Theory. So that particular book, uh, for those who, uh, who have studied uh, higher ed administration, who've studied um, student affairs, um, what we wanted to do was to give alternative theories, alternative frameworks for those who are looking at diverse college student populations. So instead of, you know, always having to go to uh, the Perrys, the Gilligans, the uh, Chickering and Risers, the Astons, and not saying that we're throwing those out because we absolutely are not, but we are offering some alternatives to those. So when you're studying African-American students, do you really want to use Chickering and riser that was normed on predominantly white populations? Or could you use um, one of our authors in this book who's maybe using the Nguzu Saba, Mm -hmm. the uh, principles of Kwanzaa, to talk about college student development theory? So that book, Square Pegs, Round Holes, very excited about that. And for those of you out there, please, um, we can get some information to you. We have um, a, a grant from the Kellogg Foundation, and it's funding our Black Male STEM Teach 360 initiative. And this particular initiative, we're trying to get more black males teaching at the middle school level. And this grant is going to allow us to completely pay for tuition, fees, and getting folks certified in math and science to teach at the middle school level. So all That's you need amazing. is a bachelor's degree, uh, 2.5 GPA, and we're looking for you. So if you're interested in teaching math and science, we can get you in the program. We pay for all classes. We pay for all prep Um so everything is included. And I think there's even a stipend that comes along with it. So wow. reach out to us about Black Male STEM TEACH
0: 360. Now, that's amazing. That's good stuff. More activists. <laughs> that's good stuff. So again, I would like to thank you, Dr. Barner, for participating and coming on and having a dope conversation with me. This was fun. One of my bucket list things was to be able to sit down and really pick your brain. And I got to do it.
1: hey, this was dope. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank
0: Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So guests, please follow, subscribe and leave a review on Anchor, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Bikita Pegram. Or you can check me out on my website, BikitaPegram.com. And you can also listen to the podcast there. Thank you for joining us and go forth and be great. Bikita out.